Hello and welcome to Films That Time Forgot, um, a podcast where we look at at uh, Hollywood films from the 80s, from the 1980s to the early 2010s that have somewhat slipped under the cultural radar. Um, joining me on this on this episode is YouTuber and author Rob Hill. Hello there. Now, Rob, could you tell our lovely listeners um, what is it that you do exactly? Uh, it's a good question. My wife asks me that quite often. <laughs> um, I, um, I, I Basically, I used to work in post-production, and after Brexit, that became more difficult, so I decided to kind of go for my life dream of being a film cricket. Um, but the way in I saw and the thing that I was interested in was kind of the best, worst movies of the 80s and 90s in particular, so I wrote a book called The Bad Movie Bible, which ended up being fairly popular, and that kind of launched a YouTube channel. And then during lockdown, I started making kind of what I call proper videos, where you actually edit and talk and do things rather than just slap up clips, which is what I was doing before. So that's what my Bad Movie Bible YouTube channel is now. It's basically just looking at the best worst of 80s and 90s genre movies. Yeah, I mean... I've I having watched having watched the the videos and read the book, I can probably recommend them. I it's introduced me to all sorts of films I didn't know existed, such as the um God, that weird Indonesian one from 1974 with a with a um a guy karate chopping a robot. That was I think that was your <laughs> spy movie section. That one caught me particularly by surprise. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Honestly, for me, it's a journey as well, because as much as I think I know all, all these obscure and unknown and particular, particularly foreign uh, genre movies of that era, once you start digging deep into a particular subgenre, there's so much you realise you didn't have any idea about. There are so many crazy movies out there that we in the West either don't know about or have forgotten about or really, frankly, need to know about. I mean, is it is it easy to find? How hard or easy is it to find information about some of the more obscure entries? Yeah, it, it is a challenge to be honest, because it's nowadays it's tricky because obviously everyone kind of uses the internet as their primary resource tool, you know, their primary uh, investigative means, and really a lot of these movies are so weird and obscure that they never kind of did that thing where someone put them on the internet and talked about them on the internet and so on and particularly like indian movies or filipino movies maybe even a few turkish movies that there's often absolutely nothing about them on the internet and you've got to kind of dig down into the local culture to try and figure out what they made and why they made it yeah i mean yeah, I, I mean that must be particularly for some of the like the sixties Malaysian films. It's, I mean, I, I that must take a hell of a lot of man hours just to try and dig up even something slightly tangentially related to it. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. And then even if you find that the movie exists, you've then got to find the movie itself. Which, to be honest, if you if you, I, I'm I'm not a big fan of using these dodgy. DVD sellers who, who oh, yeah. essentially just rip off a movie and then sell it. I, piracy, when it comes to movies like this, is a grey area because they've been forgotten about. They, you know, they often haven't been released for thirty or forty years. So, you know, grey areas are grey areas. But I don't want to pay someone to rip yeah. something off. So, really, unless it's on YouTube, it can be tricky, uh, or like a weird 
streaming service like Amazon Prime, which for some reason I'll never understand, is absolutely full of crazy old Indian oh, yeah. movies, which for some reason you can't buy anywhere else, you can't find anywhere else, but they're on Amazon Prime. And if they're not, then they're, hopefully they'll be on YouTube. Otherwise you're, otherwise you're a bit stuck. Well, one film that is easy to source, unfortunately, is today's film, um, the 1999 Arnold Schwarzenegger action horror film, End of Days. Now, Rob, now I have a feeling you've heard of this. Oh, yeah. You've seen my channel. You know full well <laughs> I've heard of this. And I saw it when it came out. I think I actually saw this in the cinema. Oh, that's right. how old I am, for, for one thing. And that's how, how poor my taste is for another. Yeah, I mean, I only heard about this. I heard about this about a couple of years after it came out. Um, I was about nine when it came out, so I was a bit too young to have seen it at the time. But a mate of mine mentioned seeing it, and he said it was pretty um, average, apart from the theme music, like the like like the choral sounds that play mm. throughout the film, which I thought was an interesting. An interesting thing to pick up on because there's, as we'll go into um, later on, there are some more um, moments that stand out. It's it's kind of a weird hodgepodge of a thing. Um, I don't know what you thought. To be honest, that's exactly my takeaway. Yeah. So I, I, like I say, I saw this, either I saw it in the cinema or I saw it as soon as it came out on video because I would have been 22 or something at the time. And, uh, you know, a a big Schwarzenegger fan, obviously, having grown up in the in the late eighties and into the nineties. But to be honest, I haven't really thought about it since then until we'd planned to do this podcast. So I thought I'd better give it a rewatch, which I did um, just today, actually. And it, I you you couldn't put it any better, really, than to say it's it's a hodgepodge because there's nothing in it that's terrible. But it is a hodgepodge. It is confused. It's a bit of everything. It expands too many genres and yeah. tries to do too much, arguably. But yeah, hodgepodge. There's, there we are. Because what's strange about this is, is that this was, film was meant to be Arnold's big comeback after his heart surgery that he had shortly after filming Batman and Robin. And he obviously wanted to do something different, but I don't know if that was really the right strategy for him. Yeah, it's I think a lot of these 80s action stars only found the strategy that didn't work after they tried it, if you know what I mean. And, I mean, who would have predicted that comedy would work for Arnold Schwarzenegger until he did Twins and it was a massive hit and so on? And then Stallone tried to do the same thing with Oscar and movies and Stop My Mum Will Shoot and it was a disaster. So I think we we can say with hindsight, yeah, it clearly made no sense at all. But at the time, I can kind of see what Arnold would have been thinking. He's been away for a few years, like you say. I think it was a, a bit of a long pre-production too, because he, he struggled getting insurance, if I understand correctly. He did, yeah. So... You know, I can see that he was kind of right. Okay, this is my my next generation. He's he'd kind of done three or four generations of himself up to that point, and this was going to be his new one—a more serious tone. Uh, you know, less emphasis on action, more on plot, and big questions and big issues and issues of the day. Ooh. And yeah, it it didn't quite pan out, did it? Uh, yeah, I mean, the original choice for the lead role, interestingly enough, was meant to be Tom Cruise. Mm. But he pulled out to do Magnolia, which is a very wise decision indeed. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
Um, also, the director, which originally meant to be, he later went on to, to direct the reboot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Marcus Nispel, mm. which I think would have amped up the horror a bit more because the problem with this film is the horror aspects, they initially start off promisingly, but they they pull their punches. They never go deep enough into the horror for it to be scary. Yeah. And... Arnold's presence in itself just kind of negates the horror aspect. Exactly. But, but at the same time, the action's also skimped on. So the action never really feels, it never really hits the way, it's not high impact the way that we would expect the action from Arnold's previous films to be. Mm. It really does feel like it could be anybody playing that role. Apart exactly, from the, yeah. Apart from a scene towards the end of the film with the climax that feels like it was slotted in just to please the Arnold fans, it really does feel like a film that... It doesn't feel like an Arnold film, and I don't mean that in a positive way. Yeah, I, I think this is... yeah. It, it, like I was saying, I, I think he was sort of trying to redefine what an Arnold film could be, and... It, it was never going to be this at the end of the day. And again, like you say, the, the horror aspect was just never going to work. You know, you, Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't make horror movies, or certainly at the time anyway. He was never going to allow himself to be in a horror movie apart from anything else. So it's all, yeah, it doesn't, the horror that there is doesn't quite fit. It doesn't quite work or gel. And it's far too tame to work as a horror in its own right. Yeah. I mean, it flopped in the US, it only made 68 million on a budget off. 100 million and again received negative reviews and I could be argued that this kind of really started Arnold's sort of downslide in terms of cinema because you then had the sixth day which is him trying to get into sci-fi again as a total recall that didn't work collateral damage is him trying to do politics but but 9-11 and screwed it up for him and then after a last bow with Terminator 3, at least we thought so, he then just decided to ditch to ditch the acting altogether and go into politics. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. if maybe the failure of this was kind of a warning sign, the first sign that, oh, I need to move on now. I wouldn't be surprised because he, he I mean he's a smart guy. If you I don't know if you've ever read um I've not actually read his autobiography. I have, yeah. Say, I, I mean I've read a couple of books about him. But one thing that I took away from them was that he was a seriously, or he is a seriously smart guy, and being an action star was only part of his ambition and only mm. part of his plan. And he'd done that, so yeah, why not? Why not just quietly move on? Because I think, like you say, this was kind of a make or break movie. Is he after you know the world had changed? He'd been he'd been very ill. He'd had a big operation. He'd come back. He was now quite old. Was he going to be able to pick up where he left off? And this was kind of the test, which showed that he probably couldn't. And I mean, he, he hasn't been a, a major force in movies since, has he really? Yeah, I mean, at least like unlike Stallone, he kind of knew when to fold him, as they say in gambling yeah. terms, and step away. Which, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can understand why he would do that. Um, but moving on to the film as... Moving on to the film itself, I mean, I could see why he would have initially been attracted to it because it begins promisingly. You know, you have all the great sort of ominous religious horror tropes with the Pope being informed that a child 
that a child chosen to bear, this is set in 1979, that a child chosen to bear, bear the child of Satan has been born. And the Pope says that we must protect the child. And then we cut to the, the child, um, who later turns out to be a young girl called Christine, being born in a New York hospital. She gets kidnapped by Miriam Margulies, who takes her down to a basement where the baby gets fed sort of like snake blood. The, the snake gets cut and the, the baby gets fed its blood by by the ever-present Udo Kier. Um, so, so that whole opening, that I actually think that whole opening does sort of start promisingly in terms of the horror. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, it sets everything up <clears throat> quite nicely, and it it also establishes the uh, an, an intriguing aspect within the Catholic Church, which is that you've got factions who think mm. that this child should be murdered in order to prevent, which is frankly the only logical conclusion to come to. Really, yeah. <laughs> And then you've got factions who are of such faith that God will see them right, essentially, which is kind of that's kind of interesting in its in its own right there. And and, and in a way that that whole, as you say, yeah, the whole opening sequence there works well. And also immediately after that, it, it continues to work quite well. It's it's kind of freaky watching it because also that's a, a real baby and, and a relatively newborn one. It's not the usual oh, no. Hollywood let's shuffle one out for a, for a one year old thing. It's a real baby, and it really looks like snake blood's being dripped on it. And it's yeah. quite cool that whole sequence. Yeah, and and if the film stayed at that tone, which unfortunately. It can't because it's an Arnold movie from the late nineties. Mm. It <laughs> would work, you know. You keep it low key, keep it Omanesque. You maybe make the lead more of a lead more of a Gregory Peck type, mm. and it would sort of, you know. And you make it this sort of lower key thriller, more like something from the seventies, like Rosemary's Baby meets yeah. the Omen, that sort of thing. But then the next scene, when we cut to 20 years later, this is lead up to New Year's Eve 1999 in New York. We have Satan coming to Earth as an invisible predator-like creature. The invisibility effect is straight out of Predator. That mm. can't be a coincidence. Um, and he first appears via blowing up manholes with lots of columns of flame coming up. <laughs> And right Which away, it's kind of cool, though. I I, I kind of like that because it, one thing this movie, um, yeah, I I completely see the Rosemary's Baby and Omen connections, but one thing I did like about it is this kind of fairly gritty and uh, realistic New York depiction. Yeah. And I know it wasn't even shot in New York. My 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 trivia searching this afternoon has revealed it wasn't even LA. shot in New York, LA, but it yeah. really looks like it was, and it really feels. So to to blend like Rosemary's Baby or The Omen with kind of a gritty New York detective movie, again, I think that's a good idea. That could work, but you want someone like Gregory Peck playing that, or Tom Cruise, yeah, playing that cop, maybe. But instead, it's just like the second, the, the second, well, the third scene really. They're just going, "Fuck it, this is an Arnold movie. Let's bring, let let's pull out all the stops right away." and the effects aren't bad, but once again, we're clearly supposed to be reminded of Terminator. I mean, there's a scene later on that references the morphing effect of Terminator 2, but we're clearly supposed to be reminded of the Predator. And the way Satan announces his physical presence on Earth is, again, not subtle because 
it the the host kind of goes straight into the body of businessman Gabriel Byrne in a restaurant. Mm. And right away he tongues, he sticks his tongue down the throat of his dinner companion's wife while she gets turned on. And he then leaves said restaurant and it blows up. <laughs> yeah, it's quite it's a fairly confusing sequence, that isn't it, really? When we think about it. I mean, wouldn't you immediately go? Hold on a minute, something's up. We need to track down this business. You know, this this we find out because we find out in a bit he's quite a prolific businessman, Gabriel Burns character. Yeah. You've left this restaurant that's just blown up. Investigate yeah, it, investigate that, maybe? Exactly. Well, he's a high profile and presumably public figure because yeah. anyone who travels around New York with in in a convoy of limousines with security is a public figure of some sort, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It does raise the question, how smart was the devil when he decided to make... But, you know, I, I think that's that's a, a, a maybe a flaw in the screenplay. I think more, more likely it's a bit of a flaw in the direction because not, nothing about that sequence rings true to me. The the, the pouring is, is business partner's wife, the explosion and, and the everything. It just... I could see that being done in a way that works and it, I, I don't think it really does in this case. It's so over the top again. It's we're going to come on to this multiple times. It's the clash between what was, I guess, meant what what is traditionally a more, with the exception of the head turning or whatever, a more subtle genre of the horror of demonic of of, of 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 you know Satan, and where the horror slowly creeps up on you, and mm. a sort of bombastic action film. Yeah, I, I mean, well. I mean, an obvious comparison is, you know, The Exorcist. There, there are a few moments that are directly inspired by it, but The Exorcist is a movie that's drenched in the the history of the Catholic Church and 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 the the the, the detail of the Catholic Church. And in this, it's just kind of a, a, a plot device. It's it's you know, these characters aren't. Rod Steiger isn't a believable Catholic priest. He's a oh, great no. character, and I kind of, I, I, to be honest, he's one of my favourite things in it. But all this mythology, or if if you're of a, of a different mind, then all of this fact uh, of the Catholic Church's history is just kind of treated like a like a background, like a bit of colour. It's not really understood or explored. I don't think like it is in proper demonic possession movies. No, because again, I mean, but once again, because he's in it, the main focus is Arnold. Here we come on to the next day, where again they're trying to make he's trying to gritty up his image by doing the whole lethal weapon thing of putting a Gosh. gun to his head, <laughs> pulling the trigger. Man, that is such an awful scene, isn't it? I had no recollection of that until I rewatched it today, and it, 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 he's literally introduced with a gun in his mouth. Yeah. And I can see that that was in the screenplay and I can see that that makes complete sense for that character. I can't see keeping that visual image once you cast Arnold. It's not going to... I, I, to be honest, I don't think he's that bad in it. I think his acting is kind of okay. He's mostly. trying. He's trying and he's doing something. He's not just playing Arnold. But yeah, that's asking too much, really. Yeah, and he's always oh, also called Jericho Kane, by the way, which is a very a, a wonderfully subtle name about in a religious themed film. Of course, of course. And, and he gets picked up, of course, in his gritty apartment by his partner Bobby Chicago, another wonderfully <laughs> realistic name, played by Kevin Pollock. And 
I had a feeling Pollock knew this film was awful or he thought this film wasn't going to turn out well. So he just kind of, I, I don't know, it just feels like he's not taking it 100% seriously. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think, yeah, Kevin Pollock knows the score at the end of the day. He's going to show up and he's going to deliver, but he's, he's also going to know that it's a joke, I think. Yeah, and they both prep up and um, and go off to, um, because they both work as private security private security guys guarding Gabriel Byrne. And, and and whilst they're on security duty, they know um, Arnold notices that a sniper's about to, sh about to shoot Byrne and then chases after him. And for the first action scene in the film, it's really quite a weak one because yeah. there's this awful bit where Arnold, because the sniper's on the roof, Arnold's following him in a helicopter and to 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 catch to physically get the guy, Arnold is lowered down by like wires, and he's like hanging from wires, like he's flying, and mm. the helicopter's above him, and it's just this kind of image for an uncomfortably long period of time. It's um, that era, isn't it? The, the action American action movies of this era are often so awkward. Because it's the crossover period, it's the crossover point, isn't it, between the old style of action and the new style. I suppose maybe the mm. Matrix was the first kind of, yeah, you know, real, real line in the sand there. But it didn't all change overnight, and so you've got like, Arnold hanging from a wire underneath a helicopter in one of the most undynamic scenes imaginable. It, it, and none of it makes any sense either. It, it, he's not hanging right. The, the helicopter's going up and down, but he isn't. He's attached to this cable in the, in the small of his back, and then literally in the blink of an eye, he isn't. They don't. You know, there's, there's just too many little, too many little corners cut there. I think. Yeah, and the sniper's this elderly guy, and he and Arnold both fall, both fall in midair, through you know, right down to the ground. They fall. They fall through like some glass as well. And this guy is totally okay, no problem at all, and runs into um and runs into a subway and kind of, you know, totally okay. And he go and he then where Arnold holds him at gunpoint and he rambles on about the Dark Lord being released, released. Arnold then shoots him and discovers that the guy was a priest. And then in the next scene, this is where I guess we find out he was an ex-cop, I think, because he talks to somebody mm. who, because I initially thought this is a superior, but then I thought, no, this character played by CCH Pounder, I think she was like his ex-colleague or something. Yeah, yeah, she, she, she'd she have to be either his ex-colleague, ex-partner or ex-boss, potentially. Yeah, that's, that, that backstory is not explained very well. I mean, we get some information about it later on, but... It's a little vague as to what, as to you know, his status, his status yeah. at that point. Um, I couldn't work out because uh, I thought to initially rewatching it. I thought, okay, right. So he's a detective. He's like a private detective who works for a security company, something like that. But then there's a then there's a scene where he just where he just waltzes into this enormous office, which has a an even more enormous armory attached to it, and just helps himself to all these yeah. weapons. And I was like, hang on, so what is he in the police station? Has he been allowed into the police because he's a former cop? And no, no, maybe this security company just has an enormous armory. 
and yeah. a clearly unstable lunatic can just walk in and help himself to whatever he likes, even though he's not actually on a job at the moment. I think it's the second option because the, 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 the lunatic happens to be a guy who specializes in tooling up for big <laughs> action sequences, as we later find out. But he's so Arnold's told that the sniper couldn't have spoken to him as dun dun dun, he doesn't have a tongue. And so Arnold and Pollock then go to the guy's apartment, which, and you can see what they're trying to do here. Peter Himes is trying to do with the horror aspects because he cranks it up to 11. It's covered in bloody pentagrams and crucifixes. And it's clearly trying to rip off when they find Sloth in seven because mm. of the way it's shot and when they find the guy's tongue in a jar. But I always, I feel like the presence of Arnold just completely negates that. Completely, yeah. Yeah, and that's not his fault. It's just, you know, that's casting. That's There's nothing he could have done to avoid that by acting, because he's Arnold, and you can't change that. But it's just when you've got the six-foot-two Austrian oak, it's like he can't, you can't really sort of do quiet investigation scenes, yeah, I find. exactly. And we're also conditioned to know that nothing can beat him, nothing can knock him down, that he's, you know... It, we, we, He's emotionally bulletproof, physically bulletproof. and all. So it's also really hard to sympathise with him. Yeah, because it's like he's clearly not going to be spooked out by a bloody pentagram <laughs> or, or a sort of crazy, what looks what appeared to be a crazy homeless fella. And later on, it gets ludicrous when we get to um, the Satanists coming up against the Satanists. You're like, really? Can <laughs> Arnold against these normal people? Um, which is a hilarious image which we're going to come on to. But Arnold and Pollock also find a picture of the grown-up uh, Christine, and they later find out from cops that burst in on them that the guy's name, that the ex-priest's name was Thomas Aquinas and that he studied at the Vatican. So he was linked to the Pope. He was maybe one of the guys who spoke to the Pope at the beginning of the film. Mm. And then we go to another... Another good horror scene, which is Christine on the subway, where she's approached by a creepy albino that basically says the devil's gonna fuck you, and then and then shatters into glass. At yeah. which point Christine wakes up and it's found out that this is one of her hallucinations or dreams that Satan sends her to inform her that he's coming for her. And Whilst this sequence is really well put together, you get a lot of tension between Christine and the guy playing the albino, and the shattered glass effect is really good. Isn't it a bit weird for the devil to announce his presence and what he's going to do to her? Does he not think that would freak her out? Well, every, everything this devil does is kind of weird, though, isn't it? It's a, a lot of the things he does, he seems to be doing in all, for the for the benefit of the screenplay rather than his mission to take over the world. And yeah, that's a, a classic example. Yeah, why does he do that? I mean, because you know, if you're going to, you know, I mean, if I had a, if I had dreams, but you know, the devil was going to come and and effectively, I mean, the dreams show him effectively raping her, mm. then I would, I would. Be like, no, I don't want to do this. Exactly. You know, and, bye bye. And, and, and try and leave, you know. The devil's been feeding her visions of the guy <laughs> who he will ultimately um, you know, to take over in order to but how does it benefit the devil for her to recognize 
the form he's going to take when he's going when he plans to kidnap and rape her. It it's like it's great for the drama, but it doesn't make any real sense. And we later find out that Miriam Margulies, who has been assigned as her guardian, hasn't really been informing her of this, hasn't really been sort of winning her over to Satanism. She seems to have just looked exactly, after Christine yeah. and just assumed she'd be okay with it. When it's when it's revealed that Miriam Margulies, that this this you know Satan's love thing, her, her effective uh, stepmother. When it's revealed that she, like every other character in this film, is actually a Satanist, it, it just begs the question: Well, what, why? If she was brought up by a Satanist, surely she'd want to prepare the ground by introducing her to some of these ideas, maybe because you could quite easily, and we've all seen that movie, raise a child who wants to be Satan's lover, who wants to have Satan's child. But for some reason, despite her being there, they don't do that. I think they just, I think maybe Satan just assumed, and the Satanists just assumed it was going to be um, genetic, that she was just going to pop out of the womb fully okay with bearing bearing the spawn of Satan. I think you're being generous there. I suspect it's more to do with well, the, the omen has people all around Damien looking after him as he grows up. Yeah, so we should do the same thing too, maybe. Yeah, this is clearly like um, like Miriam Margulies is meant to be Billy Whitelaw in this yeah, case. Yeah, exactly. And after this, we get another um, scene, a failed drama with Arnold in his apartment, where he reads the Bible. Um, and finds that there is the verse that the guy was saying about after a thousand years, Satan will be released from his prison. And he also discovers a music box that we later find belongs to his daughter and he breaks down. And it's, he's okay at doing the crying scenes, but again, it feels held back. Mm. It, it It's not that it's awful. It's more that it just doesn't go, I think. It's, yeah, it's, it it just doesn't fit. You can't. Every criticism, you you can. I think for me that the criticism of this film fall into sort of three categories. Really, one is the structurally the screenplay just isn't very sound, particularly the second half. It's un, completely unfocused and kind of meanders about the place. And the first half maybe does better. Arnold is horrendously miscast. Which oh is yeah, perhaps the biggest problem. I love Arnold, and he's not terrible, but he is profoundly miscast. Mm. And then the other one is the um, is the is just the, way, the fact that you can't see anything. It's yeah, so, it's so dark. Yeah, I mean, the scene I, I, I don't mean thematically. I mean visually. Dark. Yeah, I, I mean the scene where he's in the the guy's the priest's apartment. That's lit literally by Arnold and Pollock's torches. It's like you can't. And later on, with the satanic church. You can't see much of anything. And yeah, and and even like when they're in the hospital. Oh like, yeah. Hospitals are not murky, dimly lit, moody, dark cornered places. They're lit, you know, to the point of blinding you. And yeah. for some reason that that just isn't that, that oh, no, we want it to look cool and moody and dark. Well, apparently that's something Arnold had a big problem with actually. I, I'm sure you've come across this yeah. as well, but apparently he was not happy with that. Yeah, he, he said Peter Hyams was the wrong director. Yeah, and, I mean, he was. Yeah, I mean, he's directed some great films like Outland, but on this occasion, he was way off. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. So what we also have, as well as Chris, um, we've got Miriam Margulies looking after Christine. We've also got um, Udo Kier's psychiatrist, who basically says, 
Oh, yeah, no, no, your visions are the result of trauma due to your parents' death, which doesn't help at all. He's a shit psychiatrist. <laughs> uh, and Arnold, oh, so, yeah, so Satan, once again, you fucked up with that. Um, Arnold then goes to the Thomas Aquinas' church, asks Rod Steiger about him, and and um, asks, you know, and, and asks about... Um, and basically asks him, you know, why did you try and kill Gabriel Byrne? Arnold sort of overacts with, you know, and Rod Steig overacts with, you know, there's another world out there. There's things you don't understand. Um, and then what happened, but 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 what happens is, is but right after brushing Arnold off, he then sort of goes down to this sort of secret, um, I guess, research lab they've got in the basements where they've got possessed, <laughs> this possessed woman tied to a bed, but they leave God, the door I open and Arnold, and Arnold just follows him. You know, if you're going to try and get Arnold not to go downstairs to the basement, just physically get him to go out of the building as much as you can with Arnold. But make sure that basement door is locked. Don't leave it open so that he can storm in. And and I'd completely forgotten about this, actually. I'd, I didn't quite grasp what was going on there. What? Why do they have a possessed woman in the basement? Was there an explanation? I don't know why. I think it was to maybe work out whether Satan was coming back, I guess. The useful right. woman is like a sort of Satan detector. Yes. <laughs> and in a bed, which is an exact replica of, I mean, I haven't gone back to look at it, but in my mind, it's identical to to Regan's from, oh, Regan's it is. From, the, from, oh, from The Exorcist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they've got a tie down and everything. They're basically just ripping off the iconography as much as they can. They've got the creepy Agnes Day theme that's like the omen, you know, it's chanting it's they 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 use every trick in the book for this and it none of it comes off because of the writing and just how arnold sort of handles the scenes because later on we get him going to the hospital which as you mentioned is weird lighting to meet thomas and they discover that he's been crucified by gabriel Byrne onto the ceiling and this is initially and this is initially a creepy image, but it's ruined by the cop afterwards saying maybe maybe the guy maybe the guy did this to himself. Yeah, <laughs> and then again, Arnold says something like, "Well, how did he get the last scalpel in his wrist?" Then yeah. So well, the question really is, how did he suspend himself ten feet above the ground to the ceiling before attaching any scalpels to himself? But whatever, <laughs> it's just. Yeah, the, it's not. It, all the pieces are there, and in moments like that, you you just really needed someone who knew what they were doing with a thriller type script. You know, who knew how knows how to make cops talk to each other, who knows how to have how to write a scene in which a cop goes through a crime scene, invest and has a conversation. You know, maybe there's a bit of banter, maybe there's a conflict or whatever. But it just none of it rings true. Yeah, but it's weird though because Peter Himes isn't a stranger to a stranger to this. He did Outland, yeah, yeah. Outland, which is high high noon in space, um, starring Sean Connery, really well written. But, and then but he did specifically, the yeah, no, but this kind of thing is to be honest. The, I think the the relics probably a bit closer to yeah. end of days in my mind than it is to um, twenty ten. The year we made contact. Contract is a, a, a favorite Peter Hyams movie of mine, and obviously Outland as well. But both of those movies, both of those movies from the early eighties, 
have incredibly believable and naturalistic dialogue. And, you know, it's generally spoken by men's men in a, you know, in a tricky yeah. situation. And, you know, it's exactly the kind of thing you'd think he'd be good at. And but this is was, just... but maybe the writer wasn't. So, yeah, I mean, in another coincidence, contrived coincidence, Thomas Aquinas has on his chest Christ in New York. Um, and Arnold immediately puts two and two together and goes, oh, Christ in New York. Like like in the nineteen sixties Batman TV series, Christ in New York, Christine York, Christine York. We've got to find somebody called Christine York, and they head over to see her in her apartment, where she, um, where the actress playing her, Robin Tunney, once again gets her tits out for the camera. It's mm -hmm. something that's totally not gratuitous at all. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit. I don't know how much extra they paid her for that one. Little scene. That, that whole sequence is weird. But I, I, I don't know if you'd noticed this, but I ended up. I I looked at um, IMDb's trivia page afterwards, or the goofs page or something, yeah. and um, and it did it did confirm what I thought, which was in that scene, as she walks. I think it's actually just exactly the the shot after she flashes her breasts for no good reason. You hear someone say "go," and then she walks into the into the shot. Really. Jesus. And, and I, I, I said, hang on a minute. So I reround it and did it again. And it's really apparent, really oh. apparent. Someone oh, saying, go. and apparently that is Peter Hyams giving oh. her a cue. At the oh, Jesus. The I mean, Robin Tunney isn't, I mean, she's okay. She tries her best with this character, but she's not given much to work with. She's very mm. much the wild eyed ingenue who kind of is, yeah, prey to all these horrific visions. She has. You know, there is another one earlier on, which is, again, well-directed. But once again, why is Satan doing this? Where, where Gabriel Byrne visits Udo Kears, the psychiatrists, and has sex with with um, with his daughter yeah. and his wife, which then morphs into Robin Tunney. Again, the effects are well done. And it is disturbing. But logically, there is no reason why you would be giving her this. Exactly. Yeah, it was as if. I I couldn't stop thinking about Bram Stoker's Dracula, the yeah. Ford Coppola movie. Yeah. During that scene, I swear they were just like, okay, we want a scene like that one. Yeah, just cherry pick it. If it doesn't make sense, whatever. This feels like a guy who is inexperienced with horror, trying to mm. hot jam together, trying to write a horror script, trying to write a horror script, or make a horror film, but. It, they, he doesn't really know what's scary, so he just goes, he picks up a ton of films of random and just goes, right, I'll pick this bit from here, this bit from there, whatever, if it doesn't make sense. we just got to put it all in. Yeah. And also, um, as well as the gratuitous nudity, we get some gratuitous blood as she comes out of the shower, sees her, her butler in a bath covered in blood who she's just been speaking to. How they managed to get the butler into that bath and have so much blood come out of him in a short space of time, I have no idea. And she's then immediately attacked by the rogue Vatican faction that wants to kill her. <laughs> and right after that, and they take a long time in doing so because we've got the knife right over her, they have to say some sort of right or whatever, which gives enough time for Arnold and Pollock to burst in and, and save her. The action scene we get, it's okay. It's we get some good kind of people jumping out of window stuff, but hmm. again, it's very, it's very low level for Arnold. I mean, if I was watching this in the cinema, cinema, I'd be like, really, God, this is 
anybody could do this action scene. You know, you could you could have Michael Douglas doing this kind of stuff, exactly. and it wouldn't look yeah. spectacular. And and it could easily have been that could easily have been a Michael a late eighties Michael Douglas thriller. That scene would could have could have been used exactly the same. You know, it, nothing needs changing. It doesn't do anything new. It doesn't do any. It hasn't it hasn't moved the form on in any way from what would have been a run-of-the-mill thriller scene 15 years earlier. Yeah, I mean, in fact, actually, I would argue that the Michael Douglas film Don't Say a Word contains slightly better action scenes. <laughs> Possibly, which, yeah. which I'm going to come on to in a later episode. Um, so Arnold asks, uh, tries to ask Christine about, um, about Thomas Aquinas, but gets interrupted once again by Miriam, uh, who kicks him out of the house. And Miriam then gets told then gets told um, by Gabriel Byrne, no, no, by Udo Kia, to bring um, Christine to Satan, and, and and she refuses for no reason as to as to keep as to keep Christine at the house. Arnold then gets back to the house to ask her about an, an amulet. So he leaves. Then he comes back again, hmm. and he's asking her about a random amulet that he found a description of in one of the books he took from the house. The, the, the detective work is very minimal in this film. Yeah, um, it, and and also almost all the clues that Arnold gets to work with, uh, he doesn't really find them. They're kind of they're kind of just land in his lap. Almost yeah. every cue he gets to, to shoot off from, every everything everything that he gets to work with, is just kind of there because the script needs it to be. It's not. You know, he doesn't do anything clever to find stuff out, or no. You know, I mean, I mean, apart from doing the whole Christ in New York bit, everything is just you know handed to him on his lap. Oh look, this is in a random book I found. Mm. I found for like two minutes. Oh look, somebody tells me this. Oh look, something's written here. It's yeah, he's kind of weirdly passive in that part. And also what's weird about this scene is, just before we get on to the hilarious Arnold versus Margulies fight, <laughs> is both him and Christine have a shared hallucination of an maggots, human maggots in an apple. And you're like, hold on a minute, how is Arnold getting the visions? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought there was going to be more explanation there. And I assumed it was going to come back to his wife and child somehow. Yeah, because we find out earlier on his wife and child were killed. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so that I I expected that to mean more than uh, just justification for Arnold being depressed and so on. I figured that that in some way it would it would all be tied together. Like he was prophesized as well as the savior, who yeah. would have his great love taken from him, and you know he was cursed. There was nothing he could ever. You know he was only ever going to end up dead. But he would save this, but they don't. None of that happens, you know. None of that is explained. So yeah, he's just like, well, but then why are you seeing her vision yeah. too? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe Rod Steiger va vaguely mentioned something about him him being a chosen one later on, but it's a very rushed, a rushed uh. off piece of dialogue, and we don't get anything else to support that. So after, um, so after um, Kevin Pollock gets blown up outside by Gabriel Byrne pissing fire. <laughs> Which is, I'm sorry, you're ripping off the the, the mediocre Nightmare on Elm Street films now. Like, are you really... That is not meant to be scary. Come on. 
It's very strange, isn't it? It's very strange. Because the film does not have that kind of over-the-top campy tone, despite what we've said once or twice. The rest of it is played like it should be scary. Yeah, and but Gabriel Byrne does it with a twinkle in his eye, and I, I get the feel. I, I wonder if there were a whole bunch of takes or even scenes that didn't make it into the final film in which Gabriel Byrne is being a lot more playful and... Uh, and I don't know because that because he 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 has that air about him and flammable piss is definitely something with you know with, with humorous potential, but it's just not played that way for some reason. And then later on, he's played as quite threatening, yeah. so it's like pick a pick a you know pick a depiction here, you know. It's because if you have two, then you have to work really hard to make both of these tones work, and this film doesn't. I mean. The Devil's Advocate barely does it with Pacino. Hmm. And this just, you know, Hyams doesn't even try here. So the house gets set on fire and Arnold tries to leave but gets stopped by Miriam and the smackdown is on where Miriam Margulies is just throwing him about the place. And it never not, never stops looking funny and, and hilarious. <laughs> it, 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 it reminds me slightly of that scene from Terminator 2 when when they're when they're in the corridor but in the hallway out the back of the amusement arcade yeah. and it's the first time that the two terminators meet i think and the, you've got oh. a, a much smaller person clearly wielding more power than they ever could and hurling arnold about and i don't know if it's a, a deliberate reference to that or not but it kind of takes it at least one step further making oh, miriam gargley's the one who's hurling arnold about and it does and... I don't know how funny it's meant to be, but it is funny. Yeah, it, it takes out all the tension and all the, the fear whatsoever. It ruins the mood completely. Completely. Um, and yeah, it's it's just god-awful. Apparently this is the scene where Margulies complained that Schwarzenegger farted in her face. Yes. And she <laughs> continues to bring this up years afterwards. <laughs> yeah. And it's reported in the press like it's this big Me Too thing. And it's like, really? no, no, it's an elderly actress telling oh, no, a story she, about a She's big having concert. a lot of fun with that story whenever she tells it. No, I said, I, I Googled it today and uh, I saw in the, like, yeah, the, the most recent example of her talking about it was just last year on some chat show. <laughs> yeah, it's, she seems to be milking it for whatever. That and the Steve Martin thing, which I think, she, which I think they did try to make into more of a Me Too thing. Oh, I don't know about that. What's right? That? Oh, oh, the Steve Martin thing, right? Little Shop of Horrors, right? Little Shop of Horrors, where he's the dentist, Steve Martin. Yeah. Miriam Margulies is the nurse in that, and in the scene where they're in the hospital, the dentist's office, he accidentally punched her. But she oh. said it was deliberate. He was deliberately punching her. And Steve Martin was on Twitter and was like, no, 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 just to clear up. That was all rehearsed. Miriam is just lying about it. Oh, no, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, it, it blew up briefly, but then I think people forgot about it because people then thought, oh, this is maybe Miriam exaggerating it a bit. I don't want to believe that either Miriam Margulies is a liar or Steve Martin is abusive, though. They're, they're two heroes. Yeah, I absolutely. I mean, I mean, I don't think it was a punch, but I think he accidentally struck her and she said, oh, it was, you know, it was written in the script, but he had to do it multiple times. And I think she thought, oh, he's maybe doing it deliberately or something like that. But mm -hmm. I don't... Watching, watching, I haven't seen the film in a while, but watching the scene on YouTube, it looked rehearsed to me. 
That's mm. all I'm going to say. Not that I'm saying Miriam Margulies is a liar or anything, but <laughs> yeah. So away from Miriam, Arnold and Christine escape only to be confront, but confronted by his possessed ex-cop partner. And this is when we first learned that Satan can kind of possess people. Mm. And Arnold shoots both of them. And yeah, but for possessing people, it's weird because sometimes it's just one person when it, but then other times it's multiple people. And you're like, should you not possess multiple people? Like in the underrated Denzel Washington film Fallen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Good reference. Yeah, exactly. That that everything that Satan does with his minions is hard to understand. Because you know, like going back to Miriam Margulies briefly, she's been on board from day one. She was there when the child was born. She's a true believer. She's in a really important and powerful position when it comes to like having influence over the woman, over Robin Tanney's character. Yeah, because. She maybe kind of half failed to do something. Yeah. He just kills her, and that's that. Yeah, like you want but, to keep people as much people on board as you can. Yeah, she's useful. Meanwhile, random cops are brought back to life because they're yeah. so important to him. And yeah, other people are possessed when they've been. But it's implied he he could only he only managed to possess Arnold's partner. Because he set him on fire and then gave him a choice. Do you want to burn to death or be yeah. possessed? So then suddenly the implication is he can't actually possess people without some form of leverage. But is CCH Pounder, was she possessed or was she a Satanist? And if she was a yeah. Satanist, as is the explanation in the movie, how the what the hell? Isn't that a bit of a coincidence? That... Yeah, that's something that should be <laughs> that should be more of the big shock reveal, or should at least be foreshadowed. Also, the number also um with Kevin Pollock, he's killed, then brought back to life, then killed again. It's very on off. Like maybe just keep him alive for as long as possible. Yeah, know? or or just yeah, just put a bit of thought into it. Yeah, I mean, if he's been I know it's. I, I don't like um, pedantic and petty criticisms of, of, oh, movies, this of movies, but but there is. There's one I'm going to make here, which is that he's been set on fire and then given the choice: Do you want to die on fire like this, or do you want yeah. to? Be, so he chooses to be alive. So then, but why? So Satan then also gives him a new set of clothes, which are exactly the same as the yeah. old ones, which were burnt. How does that work? And that's one of those petty things I don't like. I, I think you normally, have to, but it's just. It makes me wonder. I have to I think you have to just assume that Satan Satan's powers are magic and he can do whatever he wants, whatever That's whatever exactly the script it. requires of him. So Arnold and Christine go to Steiger's church, and Steiger says, you know, their title drop here, the end of days are about to happen. The the Peter Griffin moment. <laughs> where they say, aha, he said the name of the film. As yeah. the number of the beast isn't six six six, it is nine nine nine. You turn it upside down, you see, and nine nine nine. Forget, um, leave. Put the one to one side. Nine 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 is in nineteen ninety nine. So that <laughs> means that Satan is going to come back in nineteen ninety nine. That's a big, um, that's a massive leaps in logic there. Yeah, that's part of the whole. Just don't think too much about the the the, the, the moment they pinned it to the millennium. Yeah, they, they just created so many problems for themselves. I mean, they, clearly, they, clearly or, had, they clearly had a release date in mind for this. 
Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And they wanted to tap into what they assumed would be raging Y2K fears and talk, and which I suppose it kind of was. There was a lot of talk and, and fretting and, and worrying about it and so on. But it's not just that, though. It's also stuff like, well, it's, so he has to mate with her one hour before midnight. Yep. And Arnold, it, Arnold says Eastern, stand, Eastern or Standard. Yeah, it, there's even a joke about it. Yeah, they even joke about it, and they just kind of brush it off and just. <laughs> but but yeah. why would why would Satan, a millennia old being, follow American time zones? Exactly, exactly. Or even or, or the Gregorian or Gregorian, whatever it's called, calendar. You know, large parts of the world don't even use this calendar, let alone. You know when it strikes midnight, and also let alone whether two thousand is the first year of the new millennium or two thousand and one, yeah. which, according to the maths, which is kind of important when it comes to numbers, <laughs> um, is the actual yeah the actual millennium was was at the end of the year two thousand, not the beginning. So, but none of that was necessary. They didn't need to have a millennium twist or a millennium angle. It could have just been Satan. He's coming back. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's but I think that's. I mean, they. This feels like a script that was written in a day, and they yeah. were just randomly pulling ideas out of nowhere to justify. That's exactly it. Yeah, the plot. So Arnold uh, dumps Christine in Steiger's church and goes back to his apartment, where he's confronted by Satan. And now this is one of the moments that I think does work in terms of Satan being like the Prince of Lies, where mm. he transports Arnold back in time to when his wife and daughter were killed at home by um, by sort of armed by armed robbers, and Arnold couldn't save them. And he says, and and he does a T one thousand. There's a really goofy T one thousand effect where he sort of creates this portal in sort of like the Christmas tree for Arnold to go through. And I thought, oh, you're clearly doing that. Somebody in the effects team is doing a, a reference to the, the liquid metal with the T-1000. Um, but Arnold basically says he can bring the wife... No, no, Satan says he can bring Arnold's wife and kids back if he can... Um, if, um, if, Arnold, if Arnold will join him. Arnold has... He doesn't have many good one-liners in this film, but he has a good one here. He says... You know, to Satan, you are just a fucking choir boy to me. Yeah, and and then they fight, um, and then they fight. Um, Ar Arnold is dangled out of a window by by Satan. At least it explains this isn't as implausible as the Miriam Margulies thing. Um, he initially agrees to go with Satan, but then gets the drop on him. It's all very cliched stuff, and this is the one scene of the movie that really is pivotal to Arnold's character. And it starts off promisingly with the recreation of the murders, of the murders and Gabriel Byrne's performance. But then it just kind of, but then unfortunately the presence of Arnold being there means it just kind of peters out into this weird compromise. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree exactly, actually. Yeah, I, it, it, this At this point in the movie, we've had a, a few scenes in a row of just kind of blah, just stuff happening. Not really, nothing really working that well. And then that scene there does stand out. It's it's probably my, off the top of my head, it's, the, it's maybe the standout scene from the second half of the movie because there's real power and, and it's, it's genuinely effective. But then it, do, it ends up, like everything else, it ends up just tying itself in, or 
Or maybe it should tie itself in knots, but it doesn't have to because it can just make Satan be whatever Satan needs to be. And at that moment in time, Satan is a completely fallible, gullible, normal person who Arnie can pull out of a window and throw to the ground several stories below and then be free and safe from him. And it's that's Satan, you know? It's like, yeah, it completely... The fact he's just fallen a couple of floors, that, that means he's no longer a threat. Like, wh yeah. why, does he, why does he have to fall? Why is he subject to the same can he not, physics as we are? And can so he not, on. Also, even for an Arnold movie, there's, it's, it's pretty... It really lessens the impact to have him effectively defeat the main villain about halfway <laughs> through the film, 60% of the way through the film. You know, yeah. it doesn't create much you know, suspense or anticipation for the climax. So, yeah, it's just the decisions the films make, the film makes with Satan is just very weird. It's like he's not as strong as he needs to be um, and he's not as scary as he needs to be. It's like, yeah, there's no tension at all. Yeah, unless unless he suddenly is really strong and really scary oh yeah completely which, out of which, the and it's like well what's the like what's the rules here yeah like he only just decides to assume the beast form at the end of the film and you're like you waited that long so we're going we then go to arnold going to the church where christian and steiger are there's a big confrontation between steiger's faction which are the good priests and the evil priests that want to kill christine and then Satan enters and be, kills, only kills the evil priests. Somehow doesn't kill Steiger. <laughs> you know, he, he should have maybe killed all the priests, but yet Steiger's still alive. So Arnold and Christine, oh, and resurrected Pollock. He got he got better again. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he's back. Yeah, flee through an alleyway. And then they're confronted by Satanists. And there are many <laughs> Satanists in the film. I tried to do an average headcount. I don't know, could you work out how many there were? I, I, I think there were roughly as many as there needed to be at any given moment. Yeah. Well, later Where on, the hell did they come from? Well, that made me laugh out loud. when, they, yeah. when it's Suddenly, it's just surrounded by Satanists. Teleportation power. And they're all ordinary people. They're not like massively muscular people who you can imagine fighting one-on-one -on -one with Arnold or they can hold their own. They're all just ordinary, ordinary run-of-the-mill New Yorkers. Yeah. And you can't see any of them because it because the cinematography is so dark. You can oh, yeah. you see silhouettes. Yeah, which I'm sure Peter Hyams thought looked effective. And Pollock once again betrays Arnold and leaves with Christine and leave and it leaves him to get beaten up by um the Satanists, which again doesn't work. It because Arnold is six foot two. Come on, you know. Six foot two you know, built like the built like the proverbial um, outhouse or shit house. You know, um, it does not look terribly effective. And he, oh, he also gets crucified. If you want a more heavy-handed Christian oh, imagery, yes, yeah. But the, but not. But they don't get. So I drifted off for a minute there. If I'm honest, while I was rewatching, it was one minute. Um, Pollock was rescuing her from the people who he was actually working with, which is kind of confusing. Yeah, because he, he he's like get in the car, get in the car, and he gets in the car, and he, he I think they, he's, they steam I, off, and it's I, like I think on. he's I think he's taking her to the church, the satanic, the but satanic that's what, temple. But that's what the satanists wanted to do as well, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I think it was more they they're busy with Arnold. Right. Okay. So he's, so he's, he's going to take Christine, I think. But they don't kill him, do they? They, I, I like I no. said, this is where I drifted off for a moment. And one minute Arnold no. facing off against you know a few dozen Satanists. Yeah. And I figure, well, okay, we're going to have this. There's quite a cool aerial shot actually of them kind of closing in on. Mm. <laughs> I thought, well, now there's going to be a ridiculous scene where he beats them all up. And then the next thing I knew, he'd been crucified. But they'd, then they'd all just kind of presumably sauntered off. Yeah. In there yeah, without just, killing him just, or anything. Yeah, they'd just gone off, left him there to be discovered by Steiger the next morning. And it's like, no, you need to take him back to your temple and make sure make sure he's dead. So how many opportunities it. does either Satan or his minions have to kill Jericho Kane? But for um, reasons that are never explained, they just don't do it. Well, if I listed them all, we'd be here for another hour. <laughs> I mean, it's just, they're classic movie villains. And it's just, I mean, no wonder, spoiler alert, their plan fails, you know. Um, but yeah, he's found by Steiger. He's brought back to the church, healed up, rushes off to save Christine. He then tools up in the his security headquarters. They just let him in there. And they're trying to rip off Commando. And it does not fit this film at all. That feels like a, a reshoot that they put in there because they thought we need to have a scene where Arnold tools up. Yeah. <laughs> and he makes his way to the very dimly lit satanic temple filled with um, a way more followers than we saw beating Arnold up. And and he's and Satan's about to have his way with Christine. And Arnold then opens fire, one of the few scenes that actually does kind of work in terms of Arnold kicking ass, even though it's short. And he kind of, and he sort of takes Christine hostage, threatens to, does a fake out where he threatens to kill her. But then, but then, but then Satan kind of tries to use Pollock to shoot, um, Pollock to shoot Arnold. Yeah. Then when po but then Pollock changes his mind and then Satan kills him. So, if Satan kind of thought Pollock would change his mind and was vulnerable, Satan maybe should have just done away with Pollock. Yeah, once it, so so apparently, if you sell your soul to the devil, you can then change your mind and 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 think, oh, actually, no, I'm going to be. Yeah. No matter what the no matter what the, the ultimate price is, I'm no longer going to be influenced by the devil, which don't. And again, it, none of that makes any sense because also she's the most important thing in the movie, and Arnold's got hold of her with a gun to her head. And Pollock's kind of like veering about the place with his gun. So what Satan's plan then is to have Pollock shoot Arnie if it if he can't talk. But Arnie's got a gun on her, so isn't that a, rather a risk? Frankly, it's going I to mean, send, him, send him back to his grave for another thousand years, waiting for the next millennium. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, maybe he's counting on the resurrection powers working, I guess. But hmm. um, I, yeah, it's just a, it's a very flawed plan. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, Satan is not thinking things through at all. Um, we then get another action scene, which actually does kind of work in the subway because Ar Arnold and Christine are on the train. They think they've, ex yeah. they've escaped Satan, but he's in front of the tracks. They run him down. He then kind of bursts up through the bottom of the subway and, and they kind of try to shoot him off to get him to get him off the train. And they decouple the train, the train so that the carriage he's on gets kind of pushed away. Uh, and then he kind of tried, jumps onto the, the part of the train where Arnold's on, but Arnold blasts him away with the shotgun. That works. 
Mm, yeah, I, I agree, actually. Yeah, there's some good stuff in that sequence. It's, it still feels a bit like a missed opportunity. I mean, imagine what, imagine a, a sequence like that uh, in a John Wick movie, for example, or, yeah. or something like that. You know, they could, they'd, they'd, there's so much room for invention and using the environment around you to do clever things. And they don't really, but it's still an effective scene, though. It's still an exciting action scene for that movie. Yeah, I mean, they could have had, you know, um, the devil, I don't know, maybe taking control of the train driver or sort of mm. manipulating the environment yeah. more like, say, I don't know, making the, sleep, the seats fly up and attack Arnold, really pushing him back, sort of showing his super strength. We don't really get a lot of that from from Satan. And I'm wondering if it's maybe an Arnold thing, like maybe he didn't want to be, he didn't want anybody to try and outmatch him. Yeah, it, could, it could be, actually. Yeah, it could be because he's... He he doesn't. It it feels like again again it feels like there's another movie it, that that could have been made in in the editing here or that maybe that maybe was the original movie that they then backtrack from and Gabriel Byrne could and should be in this more I think doing more stuff. Yeah, you wonder if it's almost like what happened with Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, where Costner cut out a lot of Rickman's best scenes for Sheriff. Because he thought he was upstaging him, you have to wonder if that happened mm. when Arnold came on board. Here, it's like you know, this is my big comeback. I do not want any of the upstaging. Okay, I I am the number one star. Yeah, it could it could well be. Yeah, and 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 again, a, a lot of a lot of the scenes that that, that do end up uh, that we do have between Arnold and Satan are very much Arnold scenes, like the the end one we, we've just been talking about, actually. At one point, Arnold shoots Satan with a rocket launcher. Yeah, and it's, it's like that. Okay, that I I don't believe that was in the Tom Cruise version. Oh no! Somehow. But you can tell which bits are tacked on immediately mm -hmm. when Arnold signed on. You can tell as clear as anything that like mm. this was added in because we've got to have Arnold shoot shoot um, shoot Satan with a lock, rocket launcher. And I think at one point he was apparently going to say something like, "I'm sending you back to hell." You see that if they'd gone full bore in that direction, I'd have loved this movie. If they'd just made it really stupid instead of trying to keep one foot in in kind of like a proper gritty thriller vibe, it could have been great. But would that have worked for like a 1999 audience? Would a 1999 oh, no. audience have gone no, like no, no one would have watched it. But now we'd all be laughing about it. Yeah, it feels like around about the late 2000s, early 2010s, that kind of over-the-top action really kind of came back, particularly casting action mm. veterans. But like in the late 90s and early 2000s, because you have it with Stallone as well, because he did films like Detox, mm. which is a really ropey whodunit movie, which again, not suited him at all, very much a low-key thriller thing, so... Sadly, it was a side of the times. Exactly, yeah. He was in the, in the exact same boat that Arnold was making this, which was that, you know, the world had moved on and they just don't, you know, their ultra-muscles, 80s, one-dimensional Mr. America types just weren't working anymore. And, and they, they, they made movies like End of Days and Detox and God knows how many others. Sort of almost thrashing about trying to find a new way to be. Yeah, it, it, and I mean, there are moments in both guys' careers, particularly in the 90s, where you can almost smell the desperation coming off them. And 
you definitely feel the desperation with some of the Arnold stuff where he's reacting to his wife and child. It's like, no, I, I am a serious actor now, you know, yeah. trying to really push this idea in the audience. Look, you see, I can do more than just have the muscles and punch and shoot. And it does feel a little desperate. Mm. So after this, Arnold and Christine go to a church and tells Christine, Arnold tells Christine to hide, throws the guns away and puts his faith in prayer as Satan finally abandons the Gabriel Byrne body and emerges, bursts out of the ground in what I think is a pretty well-rendered effect for 1999. I don't know mm. what your view is of the winged yeah, yeah. animalistic beast. It's an interesting way of portraying the devil rather than just the two-footed humanoid figure with the horns. Yeah, I, th I think they, they, they obviously had some fun um, it being the early days of CG and beasts like that still being impressive. And yeah, I, I think it's perfectly believable and so on. It was originally shot, I, I, I assume you know, but it was originally shot just with um, Stan Winston Studios' uh, physical effects. Ah, yes. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how they originally did it. But then decided afterwards that it, they were a bit too limited in what they were happy mm. with and what they found convincing. So then they brought in, I think it was Rhythm and Hughes yeah. to, do the, to do the CG version of it. And I know that the Stan Winston guys were a bit disappointed because there's only a few frames or a few seconds of their work in it. And it had been six months for a whole team. And I mean, part I of think... me, I, you know, I generally, I, I'd prefer the physical thing to the mm, CG. Yeah. But this was in the age, this was done back in the age when, CG wasn't overdone, you know. There's a few no. shots, frankly. It's not, you know, it's not dripping with it. So we think it works fine. But it didn't stand out as much as it did, say, back in the mid '90s. So you could actually use it to portray uh, a creature like what we see, and it it looks impressive. I thought in some scenes it looked a bit like a sort of evil pterodactyl, almost. Yeah. And again, though. Well, once again, though, the Arnold fans, this is a disappointment because, okay, we've had the big action, we've had the medium-sized action scene, but we've not had the big action climax because there can't be one. Mm. So you've got Arnold against this winged Satan beast and the Arnold fan is going, how is he going to defeat this? Is he going to crack out the rocket launcher? What is he going to do behind his back? What is he going to do? Instead, it jumps into Arnold and, he, and it possesses him to have his way with um, Christine. Again, strangely last minute, as it's like just counting down to midnight. Like, this is all very last minute for, for the devil. Yeah. And Arnold then has a change of heart and impales himself on a real-life sword on a statue. Why is that real-life sword there? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, actually. <laughs> yeah, like I said, there's a real-life sword there, like oddly convenient and the devil leaves him after he sacrifices himself in a unfortunate vis visual effect where he looks like he's belching out fire <laughs> yeah and he then sort of dies in christian's arms as he's reunited once again with his wife and daughter and it's a very low-key conclusion i mean to which would have disappointed a lot of Arnold fans at the time to end of days. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Rob, final thoughts. Yeah. Uh, a, a disappointing ending, I suppose really is, is probably it, it. 
it's a classic example of someone who has a uh, a clear and definable market, a whole swathe of people with whom they're really popular. I think he he took them in a whole new direction in the early 90s with comedy and they came with him all in all generally speaking even the ones that weren't very well received were were popular with audiences but then this was clearly a step too far and it clearly came at the wrong time and he clearly didn't have the power base that he used to have and as a result of that they they just didn't follow and that ending was probably the final insult yeah but my my ultimate takeaway from the movie is that if you remove it from if you if you just remove it from the whole Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, if you just if you if you refuse to see it as a vehicle for him, then it's a it's an average. It's not a bad. It's an average kind of dark thriller. Yeah, it's you know there's nothing outrageously wrong with it. We've picked holes in in it relentlessly, but you can do that with most movies, to be honest. It's it's perfectly nice and effective and it does some interesting things in an interesting way. Then it kind of goes off the rails a bit and goes a bit vague and doesn't really come back together again. But it's shot on film. It looks, aside from the fact it's dark. Oh yeah. It look it looks kind of cool. I I like the I like the, the nighttime, rainy, gritty city look of it all. I I like Arnold in it. Uh, in, uh, Pollock's great. Rod Steiger is fantastic. Oh yeah, Probably he's he, he, he is giving it his all. He is really chomping on that. Every every sort of vestment he can get a hold of in that church is being covered with his bite marks. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why you cast someone like Rod. If you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger in the middle of your movie, and and it's a movie that's going to need actors. You make sure you've got Rod Steiger in there, Miriam oh, yeah. Margulies in there, Pollock in there. You, you you make sure that you surround him with the best people, and they did, and they're and they're kind of great, all of them. Pollock's brilliant, you know. It's a totally one note performance, but it's exactly the kind of role I like and the kind of character I like, and that you don't really see much anymore. Yeah, it's it's weird how all these character actors they really get underutilized. They really get underutilized, and. It's weird to say this, but you can imagine this film being done a lot worse nowadays with really dark lighting, um, jump scares are plenty. Yeah. Um, I do think the, the benefits of casting Arnold in this film is you do get a good budget, which I feel like nowadays with this kind of film, you would skimp back on it if it's being made by something like Lionsgate. That's very true, actually. Yeah, that's very true. He's a, Yeah, he guaranteed an audience and that guaranteed a budget. Yeah, I mean, just one final thing just before we kind of end the episode, because we're coming to the end. What do you think led audiences to turn away from Arnold? Because it seems like he went very quickly from being the biggest star in the world of Terminator 2 to last action hero flopping and everything else pretty much just being downhill from there on in. I know, that's a big question, isn't it? I, I, I suspect part of it, part of it, and only part of it, I, I've always had this theory that the movie star thing is a, is a little bit blown out of proportion in our minds. Mm. We think of, you know, you put Brad Pitt in your movie, you're you're laughing. You got, and actually, Brad Pitt's been in a hell of a lot of movies that no one went to see. I think yeah. people like their movie stars if they're doing exactly what they should be doing. So, like, 
if Brad Pitt's being a smart ass in but well more more appropriately, if Arnold Schwarzenegger is kicking ass and carrying a massive gun and doing one liners, then I suspect this would have been a bigger movie than you know if 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 Arnold was doing all that in end of days, then end of days would have been a bigger movie, but it was also just at the end of their time. I really believed that it was just. And this was my era, you know, the the late eighties when Arnold and Stallone were at their peak, and the early nineties when they still were really. That was they were the movies I loved. But end of when End of Days came out, like I said, I can't remember if I went to see it in the cinema or or if I saw it on video when it when it came out. And I would have seen it when it first came out, but I I I remember very specifically not being particularly interested in doing it. Was more kind of ritual by that point. It's, this is a new Arnold action movie. I need to see it as soon as possible. And yeah. I think by then we just kind of had enough of him and that kind of thing and that whole vibe. Yeah, because the nineties in general seemed to be a real transition because you've then got guys like Keanu coming up with Speed in the Matrix, who has a completely different body type. Mm. You've got your actors like Tom Cruise and Nicolas Cage started to get into the whole action thing, and that's continued, obviously, until today. Exactly. So you don't really need the muscle-bound guys with limited exactly. acting skills who are more Is or it? less purpose-built. That's it, yeah. But Bruce Willis was was kind of the first of these, in my mind, ordinary action stars, and they played ordinary characters. And, you know, Ke- Keanu Reeves maybe doesn't play ordinary characters as such, but he kind of... I mean, John Wick's kind of an ordinary, down-to-earth guy. He's just got extraordinary skills. But, yeah, that that, that the idea of... Mr. America, uh, you know, fighting Reagan's wars overseas and with massive muscles and massive guns, that that was always going to have a limited shelf life, and it had just run out by the mid by the mid nineties. Because you also had like the muscular bound European action stars like Van Damme, and obviously, I mean, Lundgren's career had died to death earlier on in the nineties, but Van Damme, at this period of time in the late nineties, his career was winding down as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he he came along too late, really, to get in on it. You know, in '88, I think it was. Yeah. And you know, he he had his two or three years of shining very bright, and, and then, then a couple of decades of slowly dimming. Oh yeah, and then of course you have Mister Seagal, who is a story unto himself. I mean, you could do <laughs> there's podcasts devoted to the guy, so I'm not going to go into any detail. Um, so that brings our episode of End of Days to a close. Um, Rob, thanks for joining us. What have you got coming up? Um, I'm currently working on... Um, so my, my main series on my YouTube channel is called Borrowing Blockbusters. And it, it each episode just takes a, a, a legendary genre movie of the 80s and looks at all the crazy, stupid and ridiculous rip-offs that followed it. Um, so I've done the Terminator, Star Wars, Alien. Um, so I'm currently working on uh, an Indiana Jones one. And so that's going to uh, be my, my big next project, basically. That's going to be probably a couple of months till that's online. With Indiana Jones, you'll have a lot to choose from from Italy and Hong Kong because they are releasing mm-hmm. loads of rip-offs. Yeah, oh, there's always a lot to choose from from Italy. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, Italy. But the whole, the whole, a lot of their cinema in the 80s and 70s just seems to be, and 60s, just seems to be rip-offs. Yeah, oh, completely, yeah. And, and you know, they're, they're kind of proud of it. I mean, the, the, yeah. the Italian genre of film industry up until the 90s just went in cycles. You know, it was it was spaghetti, well, it was spy movies, and then it was police spaghetti movies. westerns, then it was... 
um, like, uh, sort uh, of sandal movie. Cop, cop movies, the police yeah. test or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then obviously the uh, and then in the, in the 80s they had the, the maybe the biggest one they had in the 80s was the Nam exploitation, you know, the Men on a Mission war movies and so on. But yeah, they, 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 no, they love it in Italy. They love a they love a cycle. Yeah, as do I'll, I. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another bad movie that's um, made partially in Italy and Hungary, which I'm covering next episode. It's the 1991 Bruce Willis flop Hudson Hawk. Hey, fantastic! Ah, uh, yeah, the first ever, <laughs> first ever semi musical I'm covering. So I'm going to try and get a guest who knows a little bit about music because oh, I good idea. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of tone deaf. Um, you should check out um, if you haven't read it. Check out. Um... Uh, Richard E. Grant's uh, sort of oh, film, film with I, I've with got nails. it. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I've got it. Um, I'm His chapter be on Hudson it. Hawks, brilliant. It's it's hilarious <laughs> when he talks about um, oh god, the whole the whole Hungary bit is hilarious. Him and the taxi driver where he cons him out of money. Yeah, yeah. If ever there was a movie where everyone was just off their heads on money and coke and egos and oh, nothing yeah. made sense and oh it, was, it just sounds brilliant and it's yeah it's when you read about what was meant to be the finale and danny aiello throwing tantrums and coming out of, coming up with endings out of nowhere you know it has to be a fiasco of the film yeah, absolutely uh so, yeah, on that note, Films That Time Forgot is available on um, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, Pod Podcast Index, uh, Listen Notes. Or if you want to access episodes a week in advance, uh, please subscribe to my Patreon for the film reviews. That's T-H-O-R-N-Y. Um, for £6 a month, you will not only get to access early access to these podcast episodes, but you also get to access my sporadically written uh, reviews of the latest uh, theatrical releases. So until next time, keep watching. <laughs>